This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. I'm Troy Kitch. We recently launched an ocean fact on our website about seafoam. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. The basic question was, what is seafoam? Why does it form? Is it safe? Well, based on the feedback we received, it turns out that a lot of you were interested in this topic. The kind of reaction we got was something like, yeah, what, what causes that foamy stuff on the beach anyway? So today we thought we'd revisit an interview with Dr. Rafael Cudella, professor of ocean science at the University of California, Santa Cruz. This episode was originally broadcast back in March 2009, and it's about a study that solved a mystery. And you guessed it, this mystery involves sea foam. Now before we get started, let's recap what sea foam is. Basically it comes down to this, seawater isn't just water. It contains dissolved salts, proteins, fats, dead algae, and a bunch of other bits and pieces of organic matter. When the ocean is agitated by wind and waves, all of this stuff gets churned up and sea foam can form. Now algal blooms are one common source of thick sea foams. These foams often result after blooms of algae die off, decay, and wash ashore. And there, they're whipped up into a froth. Now most of the sea foam caused by algal blooms isn't harmful to humans or animals, but sometimes it can be. And sometimes, an otherwise harmless sea foam produced by algae can produce unforeseen effects. And that's where this story begins. But back in 2007, hundreds of seabirds were found stranded or dead in California's Monterey Bay. The birds were coated with an unknown yellow-green substance that was eating away at the coating and oil on their feathers. Without this protection, the birds were vulnerable, they were starving, and they were suffering from hypothermia. And when it was all over, a total of 550 birds were stranded and 207 died. So what caused this? Well, in a study partly funded by NOAA, scientists in California solved this puzzling case and published their findings in the online journal Plus One back in 2009. Dr. Kudela, one of the authors of the study, said the cause wasn't readily apparent at the time. Right around Thanksgiving of 2007, there started to be a, a series of bird strandings. So um, marine birds were coming into the bird rescue centers, and they were exhibiting signs of basically oil spill type signs where they were coated in some material, uh, they were having problems cleaning themselves, and they were, they were actually showing up on the beach dead and they looked otherwise healthy. Kudela is an associate professor of ocean science at the University of California in Santa Cruz. He's also an investigator funded by NOAA's Monitoring and Event Response of Harmful Algal Blooms program. A more common name for an algal bloom is a red tide, and as it turned out, there was a big red tide happening in Monterey Bay at the time of the strandings. But scientists already knew that the algae turning the waters red in the bay weren't the kind of organisms that produce toxins that could harm marine life. So attention turned to another possible culprit. Farther north, a ship named the Costco Busan had recently struck the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco Bay, dumping 58,000 gallons of bunker oil into the ocean. Since it was the time of year when the seabirds were migrating south, they could have been exposed to oil spilled from the ship. So the, the very first thing we thought was the birds had simply managed to get from San Francisco down to Monterey, which is a little bit far, but not unreasonable. In cases like this, when there are large numbers of strandings and deaths, Dr. Cudella said the California Department of Fish and Game investigates to see if there's a human source, in this case, the Golden Gate spill. But after analyzing some of the Monterey birds, they found no evidence of petroleum products, 
no fish oils that could have come from fishermen in the area, and no signs that the yellow-green goo on the birds came from a human contaminant. At that point, Dave Jessup, a researcher with the California Department of Fish and Game and the lead author of the new study, suggested that the researchers turn their attention back to the ongoing red tide in Monterey Bay. Cudella was initially skeptical. And he contacted a number of us and said, we've got these birds coming in, we don't know why, but there's this big red tide going on. Do you think that could be uh, part of the problem? And we said, well, we've been keeping track of the red tide, but it's generally considered harmless. It's not a toxin producer. Uh, It shouldn't be causing any impact, but we'll go ahead and test. Well, that test seemed to lead to another dead end. Although no toxins were identified, Jessup still had a hunch. He asked for Cudella and the rest of the team to send more data about the red tide event. We started sending him um, images of the red tides using satellite imagery, and we overlaid on that the um, coastal currents from high-frequency radar. And we were very surprised when, when Dave came back and said, well, this is great. You're predicting where the bird strandings are going to occur about 48 hours in advance. Part of that imagery and data sent to Jessup came from a program called CalPreempt. That stands for the California Program for Regional Enhanced Monitoring for Phycotoxins. Phycotoxins are toxins produced by certain algae when they bloom into so-called red tide events. NOAA funds several projects like CalPreempt along the Pacific Coast. These projects focus on making red tide monitoring and prediction better, and that helps communities plan for and deal with environmental and health effects associated with these events. Well, when the red tide imagery was overlaid with local currents, it clearly showed that the red tide and the bird strandings were somehow connected. The next step was to figure out just what that connection was. Gudella said the pivotal clue was something they hadn't paid attention to earlier, sea foam. It turns out there was a lot of it in the bay. It looked very much like dirty Cool Whip, and it had that same sort of consistency. And it's, it's the normal sea foam you get during large algal blooms, but David noticed that where the birds were stranding, there was a lot of this sea foam, and the foam was coming from the red tide, and so there was a lot of red tide. And so they had this brilliant idea of testing it. Dr. Jessup's team collected some sea foam and rubbed it on some healthy seabird feathers. Sure enough, the sea foam was causing the problem. While the algae wasn't toxic, the sea foam produced as a residue from the decaying algae had qualities similar to detergent. So the foam would mat down the birds' feathers and allow cold seawater to reach their skin. In effect, the birds were freezing to death. This is the first documented case that links foam produced by a non-toxic algal bloom with the deaths and strandings of hundreds of birds. Kudela said the conditions that produced the foam and brought the seabirds into contact with it was sort of a perfect storm. First, the number of red tides has been increasing every year, and they've been occurring later and later into the year. In 2007, the red tide showed up in August and persisted all the way until late December. Second, surface currents were weak that year, and that kept the red tide in one place. Third, seasonal swells moved into the bay in late November. That churned up the algae, and it produced lots and lots of sea foam. And all of this happened just in time to snare flocks of migrating seabirds that were making their way through central California on their way to their winter feeding grounds. And so those three events together ended up causing this huge bird mortality. And we went back and we looked at it, 
and the number of strandings was about a factor of six to a factor of ten higher than is normal if we look at the last ten years of, of bird stranding data. And so we had this kind of unusual event where everything came together and it caused this impact that nobody has ever reported before. And so we've never seen in the literature that a foam event like this can impact um, marine birds, but it very clearly did. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the first time this has happened in Monterey Bay or elsewhere. There was a similar event about 10 years earlier, but at the time the mystery of the deaths and strandings of seabirds went unsolved. But Cudella said when his team checked the records, it turned out there was a red tide in the bay at the same time. Ten years ago, it was a mystery spill, and they said, well, it's not a petroleum product, and that's all we know. And so we're just going to chalk it up to some unknown events. And ten years later, 2007, because NOAA and other agencies have really been pushing that we need to answer these questions with all the disciplines working together, we've been able to go from saying it's an unknown mystery spill to saying this is exactly what happened and this has never been seen before and, and publish that and, and tell the rest of the world that you know if you see an event like this, you should be looking for these things. The study of the mysterious seabird strandings not only brought together researchers from many different fields, it also brought together resources and people from state, federal, academic, and nonprofit organizations. The study authors came from the California Department of Fish and Game, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, the Ocean Sciences Department and Institute for Marine Sciences at the University of California at Santa Cruz, and the Moss Landing Marine Laboratory in California. The study was funded in part by NOAA's National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science, Center for Sponsored Coastal Ocean Research, as well as NOAA's Integrated Ocean Observing System. Well, let's wrap up the story today with these final words. The last probably 10 or 15 years, we've all been moving towards more interdisciplinary science, and that's where the really exciting things are, and that's how we're actually going to start to um, solve some of these issues. And I think NOAA has done a fantastic job of taking the lead on that. Because if we look at something like harmful algal blooms, the biology is really important, but these organisms are in the ocean, and so we can't ignore the physics and the chemistry and the weather and everything else. And if we do ignore that, we're never going to solve the problem because it's, it's a complex and complicated problem. That was Dr. Rafael Cudella helping us piece together the clues that led to his team solving the mystery of the 2007 mass bird deaths in California. Dr. Cudella is a professor of ocean science at the University of California in Santa Cruz and an investigator funded by NOAA's Monitoring and Event Response of Harmful Algal Blooms program. This study was funded in part by NOAA's National Centers for Coastal Ocean Science and the U.S. Integrated Ocean Observing System. We'll have a link to this study in our show notes, and you'll also want to visit our site to see our Ocean Fact About Seafoam and our other nearly 200 ocean facts. You want to check that out. And that's all for this week. If you have any questions about the podcast, about our oceans, or about the National Ocean Service, you can reach us always at nos.info at noaa.gov. Our online home is oceanservice.noaa.gov. And our Facebook and Twitter handle, USOceanGov, all one word. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.